The scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 46 to 54. It can be found on page 889 in the Black Bibles. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's good to be with all of you today. Um, just wanted to mention this passage was uh, chosen um, many months ago for this Sunday morning. And as we grieve as a congregation, uh, the loss of life that we've experienced this week, uh, we celebrate that the Lord has given us this word to minister to our hearts. So as we turn to that, some of you are familiar, of course, Uh, with this sermon series that when Pastor John began it, he talked about how in John chapter one, the the opening chapter of this gospel, uh, the the content flowed out like a grand orchestra or like a musical piece with various instruments coming in and the lights slowly coming on and the grand story of the scriptures being illustrated vividly, slowly, clearly for all of us to behold as we read John chapter one. And and some of you may remember John one opens talking about how Jesus is the creator and the recreator. It, It told us about how Jesus is God here in the flesh, the very presence of God broken into a world marred by death, marred by sin. God is now present, John one tells us. And not just in flesh, but he has humbled himself. He has come in the likeness of sinful flesh, though he does not have sin, he has come in flesh to heal our proud eyes, to do that by being the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and doing that by being rejected by his very own people. But still we get the promise that that to those who do receive him, to believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so if you remember, John 1 is this this grand number, this grand piece with, with all the instruments on full display portraying the grand story of redemption. Well, John 4, our passage for this morning, on the other hand, is a, is a horrible scene. John 4 is about a helpless father and a dying child. It's as though the instruments slowly fade out and all we can see left is this father sitting next to the bed of his son, his son who has a fever that his father cannot cool down. This father who is in great despair. If, if it were told in contemporary times, this story would be told with images of, of, of morphine drips. 
or, or hospice beds. That's the picture that we have in John 4, a horrible picture. And whether we're talking about it in the past 2,000 years ago or in the present today, it would be a story of anger and confusion and frustration and deep, deep sadness. A sadness that would lead to despair where you would do anything to change the course of events unfolding before your eyes. Well, this man in despair, this father, he's a government official. He has authority. He has the ability to tell people to do things and they, and they do it. And he has learned that this man, Jesus, is back in their region, back in their state, you might say. He's 20 miles away, up the hill, 20 miles away in Cana. The man and his sick son were in Capernaum and Jesus is up in Cana. And so the man does what only thing he knows to do. He says, I'm gonna go up there and I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring that healer back. He had heard stories about this man, Jesus. He had heard about the, the, the wedding that had happened at Cana. He had heard how they were, they were celebrating this wonderful marriage and they ran out of wine. And just when people would have started to go home, all of a sudden this man started having people fill jars that are used for, for, for spiritual cleansing. He started filling them with water. And then when they went to, to see what was in the jars, it was wine. And it wasn't just wine, it was the best wine. Joy was breaking into this region and this man had heard about it. He had heard about this miracle. It happened only 20 miles away and John opens this story telling us about the wedding at Cana. Again, he had also heard perhaps about how Peter's mother-in-law had been healed of her fever there in Capernaum. And so this man thinks, I, I've heard the stories. I've heard about the joy and the life. I've heard about the power breaking into our region, our region where Roman soldiers rule where people tax us way more than they should be taxing us. And there's this man, Jesus, who is just 20 miles away. I'm gonna go get him and I'm gonna bring him back. I'm going to get him so he can heal my son. Well, that's the story of John 4. And before we get too far into our passage, I wanna give you a few headings so that you can organize your thoughts around some, some ideas. And the first is verses 46 through 49, the opening section that we just touched on, I call the despair of death. 46 through 49, the despair of death. And then 50 to 52, the middle section, the word of life. And then to conclude, 53 to 54, the path of belief. Well, let's turn now to our opening section and continue to meditate on what we see in this story. The man makes it up the hill, the 20 miles to Jesus. And in verse 47, he says to Jesus, please come down, come with me. My son is at the point of death. He wants Jesus to know how dire the situation is. And in his understanding, Jesus is a miracle worker. So the miracle worker needs to come with me. He needs to come down the hill. He needs to come and heal my son. He's desperate. He's, he's probably exhausted. He just walked for 20 hours or 10 hours for 20 miles. And he gets there and he makes this request in verse 47. And in, in many ways, it's, it's a very reasonable request. We don't look at this man and say, oh man, what is he thinking? Why would he do that? No, we think, oh yeah, that makes complete sense. If you could heal your son who's on the verge of death, you do whatever you have to do. And that's what he did. But when we look at 48, the next verse, it appears that, that Jesus changes the subject. Look with me. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And he's not just talking to the man. The word for you therein, unless you, is actually plural. It's unless you all, 
see signs and wonders. See, Jesus zooms out and makes a statement about all of the people there in that region and not just that, all of the people in the world. He gives them, and specifically this man, a warning. It's not just your son who needs help. It's not just your son who needs healing. You all, you all also need healing. You see, all of you, Jesus is saying, you all seek my power. You want what I can offer you. You want my healing. Uh, You want the the ability that I have to turn a few loaves into enough food to feed thousands. Uh, You want your wedding feast to go on. You want your mother-in-law to be healed. You want your job to change. You want something in your life to be different. And Jesus comes and mercifully warns this man and all of us that left to ourselves, we have no interest in Jesus as a person. Left to ourselves, none of us are looking to go to Jesus and follow him. No, we're not. Jesus in his mercy doesn't change the subject on this man. He expands it. Oh, your your son is, is sick and dying, I'm, I'm gonna tell you an even bigger problem than that. You in your heart have no interest in God. You in your heart have no interest in Jesus. That's what Jesus tells this man. And it's illustrated as well in the woman at the well. If you remember from last week, when Jesus tell her that, tells her that she, she can have living water, she says, give me that water because she doesn't wanna come draw from the well any longer. She wants the water that'll keep her from being thirsty again. She doesn't realize that it's by coming to Jesus that she receives that living water. Uh, John 6, Jesus spells this out for us explicitly clear in 25 and 26 of chapter 6. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus is giving a warning In the gospel of John, you seek me for bread. You do not seek me for what the bread points to, that I am the bread of life. You're not interested in that. You're just interested in the bread. You're not interested in the life that I bring. You're just interested in the healing that I can offer your son. You're not interested in living water. You're just interested in not having to go to the well any longer. He's giving a challenge. He's giving a rebuke. You do not seek what the sign ultimately points to. See, what the sign ultimately points to is that Jesus is actually the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, God there in their midst, God there in the flesh, life breaking into a world of death. And they weren't interested in what the sign pointed to. We, left to ourselves, apart from the Holy Spirit, are not interested in what these signs point to. Now, to illustrate this, years ago, I was living in Philadelphia and uh, it was a cold day and uh, there was a parade happening uh, because the Eagles had just won the Super Bowl. And I wasn't interested in celebrating that the Eagles had won the Super Bowl. Uh, but I was thinking, I want to go watch this parade to see these Eagles fans because they're crazy. Uh, I wanted to go and be entertained. I didn't care how cold it was. So I, I walked down the street and watched a very crazy parade because I was there just to be entertained. If someone had said to me, like, hey, it's so great that we won, I would have been like, yeah, please don't hurt me. (laughs) That's how I would have reacted because, you know, they're Eagles fans. But if I had gone to the parade last week, if I had gone to the Astros parade, 
and people were there celebrating. I would have been there so thrilled, not because there was a parade and a bunch of fans cheering. I would have been thrilled because of what that sign, that parade pointed towards. It pointed towards the reality that they had just won the World Series. I would have been rejoicing at the the parade only insofar as it pointed me to a greater reality. I wouldn't have been there to be entertained by a parade. I would have been there to have my mind filled with the idea that they had just won. Whereas when I went to the parade in Philadelphia, I was there just to be entertained, just to see the sign, just to see the little event, not to see what it pointed towards. And that's what Jesus is telling this man and and all of us, you all, he's telling all of us that when we see Jesus's signs and miracles in the scriptures, we ultimately in our flesh start thinking, man, I I hope I can access that power. I hope someone will, will solve the problems in my life. I hope he'll heal my family member. I, I hope my wedding will be great. I, I, I hope that he'll give me enough food to eat and, and more and more and more and living water that I never have to draw from another well again. I hope that that's what he's gonna do for me. We look at the sign and we don't see what it points to. You see, he did not change the subject when this man asked for Jesus to intervene in his life. No, the subject expanded and Jesus showed him that he needed far more than for his son to be healed. Jesus in his mercy broke into this man's life to show him that he needed to have eyes of faith, of belief to be able to actually see who Jesus was. He needed a rebuke, he needed his heart softened. It's just as we all do. We all need to hear Jesus warn us that we're tempted we're tempted, even if we have put faith in Christ, we're tempted to think about Jesus and say, man, what, is, what has he done for me lately? I mean, really? And we point to this problem in our life, we point to that problem in our life, we point to this problem in our life, and we start thinking, what has he done for me lately? And our mind slowly focuses on the sign, on the power, instead of looking through that to see who he actually is and resting in who he actually is. This man needed the warning. And instead of his heart softening, instead of him realizing that Jesus was right, uh, instead of him looking at Jesus' power that he had known to be true, he fails to see what Jesus is saying. And instead, verse 49, Jesus' words only escalates his despair. He's thinking, Jesus, every second that goes by, my son might be dead. Every second that goes by, we're wasting time. We need to go back 20 miles down the hill. So what does he do? He looks at Jesus, the official, verse 49, and he says, sir, come down before my child dies. Remember, this is a government official. He is used to giving orders. He's used to telling people what to do. So he just reverts to his day job and says, Jesus, Go down there with me and heal him. See, he was focused on what Jesus' power could do for him, not what Jesus' power told him about who Jesus was. He failed to see that Jesus is actually the word of life. The one who can heal, but who is nevertheless the word of life with life flowing out of his very self. And so let's turn now to the second section, the word of life, to see what this man failed to see. He says to the the man, the official, go. This is an important word. 
And the man was hoping for, let's go. Because he's thinking, this, this miracle worker can't heal my son unless we go down there. That's how miracle workers work. They can't heal somebody from 20 miles away, but Jesus says, go. That's the first thing we should observe. The second thing that we observe is that he gives this man a promise. Your son will live. Now, he has no idea. He can't pick up his phone and call his wife and say, hey, how's he doing? Is he better? Let me FaceTime him. I'd rather not have to walk all the way down there to see if he's okay. No, he has to believe Jesus's word in that moment. Or he's gonna have to go find another healer. Or he's gonna have to turn around and run down the hill to just try and be there with his son to hold his hand while he dies. Those are his options. Let's see how he responds. Second half of 50, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. This was a risky decision. It's always risky to trust Jesus because we walk in this life by faith, not by sight. He did not know what he was gonna find when he got back to Capernaum, but on his journey back, let's say he leaves around 1.30 in the afternoon, on his journey back, a 10-hour journey, it's probably taking him even longer on the way back down. It's probably nighttime. Perhaps he's walking by torchlight. He's walking down a hill to get to Capernaum and, and perhaps up ahead, halfway there, or at some point he sees torches coming towards him and he realizes it's his servants and they had decided to come and tell him some news. They met him and told him that his son was recovering. Now you would anticipate that a man who was only focused on external power would have said, oh, hooray, let's run back and and let me hold him. Or he just wanted to sit down and weep for joy or he would have just been so overwhelmed with happiness that he couldn't have done anything else but think about his son who was healed. But instead, what does he do? He's, he, he says to the, to the servants, um, what, time was, what time was he healed? You see, his heart had been softened by Jesus's rebuke, by Jesus's challenge, by Jesus's merciful warning. His heart had been softened because now he's curious about how his son recovered. The, the servants are probably just thinking, yeah, our master never showed up with Jesus. I guess he just got better. But the man knows something more is probably going on. So he says, what time was it? And, and they respond, yesterday at the, at the seventh hour, the, the fever left him. His heart was softened so that he was curious. Is this man merely powerful or is he something else? Is he merely a, a healer, a miracle worker, or is he something else? You see, Jesus had sent him on his way with a word of life, a word of promise that he could believe in. And when he saw that sign come true, he was not just on a path home, he was on a path of belief. Now look with me at our third section, 53 and 54. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. He was watching the clock, trying to get Jesus to come with him. And he realized once that word was spoken, he remembered it was 1 p.m. And that's when he went on his way. And so when they told him the seventh hour, that would have been 1 p.m. He remembered exactly when it happened. And all of a sudden he knew this man is able to heal from afar. And this man told me things about my heart. This man told me things about how I view the world. 
I just want to control the powers that be towards accomplishing the ends that I have in my life that are problematic. I just want Jesus to bring his power. He told me about my problems. He told me about my lack of faith and my lack of belief. He, he rebuked me and nevertheless sent me on my way. This man knew Jesus was more than just a healer. He knew all of a sudden that Jesus was the Messiah. He knew that he was the son of God. You see, the end of, of, the, of the, the book of John, John tells us that he wrote the book He wrote the book for a specific reason. Verses 30 and 31, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. This is chapter 20, which are not written in this book. So he did lots of other things we don't know about, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He knew through the knowledge of his son's healing and Jesus' challenge to his heart that this man, Jesus, was the son of God, was the Messiah, was the Christ, was very God in his midst. And what caused him to believe and all his household to believe? It was Jesus' word, his word of challenge to all of us today to not have a faith that merely rests in how good our life is going or is not going and fluctuates with the struggles of our life, but rather looks to these signs that were written that we might believe, these very signs that were written that we might believe. He saw this sign, looked through the sign to what it ultimately signified and realized that Jesus is a fountain of life. He is God. When he speaks, life comes forth. When he speaks, his son got better. When he speaks, Lazarus came out of the grave. When he speaks, the world comes into existence. All of a sudden he realized this this man is God. He creates life by his very word. He is the son of God. He is the Messiah. Through the challenge and also the mercy that Jesus showed to him, Jesus gave him his very self. He overcame this man's disbelief. He overcomes our disbelief by showing us who he ultimately is through his word. He puts us on a path to belief. He puts each of us on a path to belief. If we will continue to hear what he has to say to us, hard things and glorious things. And the glorious things of this passage are really only just getting started. You see, John chapter four, the end of it is like a hinge for the entire book. If if you look down at verse 54, you'll see what I'm talking about. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. The first sign was the, the miracle of the wedding where he turned water into wine. And John is saying, this is like a bookend. That was chapter two, this is chapter four. We're bookending the first section of the gospel. And then life begins to be the main theme. Chapter five is this long discourse about how Jesus has life in himself. Chapter six, seven, eight, we hear that Jesus is the bread of life. Chapter 10, Jesus explicitly tells us, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And not only that, verse chapter 11 is Lazarus, being healed, not just healed, brought back to life, resurrected. Chapter 12, when they see that he is 
bringing people back to life, the Pharisees realize they have to kill him. So what happens in chapter 12? They realize we have to kill this man. So what happens? They do, and what does Jesus do? He conquers death, comes back to life. You see, the glory of this passage is that it points forward ultimately, not just to the happiness that all of this household had when the father and the servants walked back down the hill and embraced the recovering son. That was glorious. But the ultimate glory of this passage is that it points forward for all of us, for all of us to an empty tomb. It points forward to a different son who is alive, the son of God, who conquered death, not just in a one-time event. That, That boy ultimately died again someday. No, it points forward to the empty tomb where where we see Jesus is actually alive now and reigning now. See, the passage that we focus on today is a sign that's meant to point all of us ultimately forward to the life that Jesus offers. So So you are not the only person who's in despair, but we all are in light of the fact that we have yet to reach that point. This man is not the only one who's in despair as he looks at his life and sees death. No, all of us, this man, all of us are looking around and seeing a world of death. At times, it's death that we think is, is, you know, reasonable. An old person passes away, but I can guarantee you that there are always people grieving There are other times when we see a child pass away. But whatever our situation, we are to take our despair to the empty tomb. We are to walk the path of belief that this man was on to the empty tomb. It's where we see the word of life on full display for us. It's the sign that tells us that Jesus is alive right now. He is actually alive right now in the flesh. He is alive right now. And the sign of the empty tomb means that by belief in him, you too, even though you might die this very year, even though you might die this very year, you will receive eternal life. And you might say, I'm not ready to die. I don't wanna die this year. Or that you aren't ready for your loved one to die. And just like the father in our story, we are never ready for children to die. And why um, Jesus gives physical healing to some people for a season and not others, we do not know. We do not know. Uh, We do know that the empty tomb that this sign points forward to speaks a word of life to our grief today. We know that for facts. This son who came back to life points us forward to the empty tomb, which is for all of us who trust in him. And it speaks a word of life to our grief today. And because of that, if our covenant children die before us, and we know that they are alive right now, more alive than we ever, than they ever were when we were the ones caring for them. You know, Posey is alive right now. We have to believe that. She is, she is. As is Lucy the people we lost this week. So this promise, this promise of the resurrection, while it does not end our, our grief, as I'm clearly displaying, 
While it does not end our grief in this life, it does tell us how our grieving will end. Our grieving will end, first of all, and it will end with us beholding Jesus face to face, receiving glorious new bodies and reigning with him over death forever. It will end with beholding the face of Jesus Christ, the son of God, who is alive right now, who is alive right now at the right hand of the father. Now, some of us need to receive Jesus's word of rebuke and have our hearts softened and hear Jesus say, hey, you're, you're not really trusting in me based on the empty tomb. You're trusting on me based on how your life is going. It's a hard word. It's a very hard word to all of us. And some of us are grieving and we need to hear that Jesus is alive right now and that he has already conquered all of the things that you're grieving over. Wherever you are, hear his word of life. They're both a word of life. The rebuke brings life and the story of the resurrection brings life. Hear his word to, to you, to me, to all of us today. Look to him in faith and receive the life for which he came to bring. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you meet us where we are. You give us the words we, uh, the word from your, your word that we need. And so we thank you that today, as we grieve the loss of life in our family, our covenant family, uh, that you've given us a word of hope. And we pray that your spirit would come and uh, bring hope and um, teach us to grieve, teach us to mourn, enable us to, to walk in faith today, believing that ultimately we will uh, see you face to face and live with you forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.